tonight, we're going to get into the gospel. We're going to get straight to work. And um, we're going to get to John chapter 8. We're going to read from about verse 3. Uh, the, the gospel is, so we've got four books that talk about their, their biographical accounts of, of people hanging with Jesus. And so the book of John is just absolutely fantastic to read about how Jesus acts, interacts, how he treats people, how he would want us to. And so you find he interacts with, finds disciples and says, come follow me. And so they follow him, but he knows he's not around for an extended period of time. He's got like three, three and a bit years. He's going to get crucified. He knows this. He's going to get crucified. He's going to die. He's going to go in the grave three days later, open up a can on the devil and defeat him and uh, come back, appear to everyone and then head off to heaven. What a great ride. So he knows that's happening. So he connects with a bunch of disciples and says, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And so they go, fantastic. Let's do it. Let's give this a go. You are brilliant. I want to be more like you, which would be the catchphrase of every follower of Christ. So the next how many years, they're following in his footsteps. They're hanging out, they're eating, they're drinking, uh, they are traveling. And I'm reading the Bible. I think there's so much eating in the Bible. Could you imagine if they had modern forms of transport? They'd all be obese. They'd be massive dudes everywhere. If they didn't walk, they'd just be like, I'm so glad they had lots of walking. Because it seems to me in the Bible, there's lots of eating. So good. Give me a religion where there's eating as a central part. This is brilliant. <laughs> On holidays, evidently, I like a bit of that kind of stuff. Just to let you know, I don't know, so I was out at Coast this morning and I was just chatting in the friendship break with someone. And uh, just they said, Oh, I said, I'm going to ask them about themselves. And, and then they said, Where are you from? And I said, I'm from Australia. And they said, Oh, what's your name? And I said, Dave. And they went, Are you the guy speaking tonight, uh, today? And I said, Yes. I said, you don't look anything like the, the, the picture they've been showing. And I said, well, I had the hair back. And also, I have a rule on holidays. And that rule is no razor shall touch my face. I'm on a three-month sabbatical. I haven't been to work <laughs> for ages. I don't, I, I don't know if I have a church left. I haven't, I haven't even asked. I don't, it's somewhere in Newcastle, there might be a church. I really don't know. Um, and so... Maybe, I hope so. Um, so I now have this. They say in life, you start out believing in Santa, then you become Santa, and then in the end, you just look like Santa. And I'm working on that third one in Jesus' name. Um, John chapter 8 is where we're going to pick it up. And it's quite the remarkable journey how one lady has an encounter with Jesus, which is not just life-changing for her, but everyone watching on. Um, my encounter with Jesus was a bit wild. Um, I was raised, dragged to church every blue moon by my mother, uh, but my mum's not the average. When I was five, my mum nearly died in a head-on car accident, um, and so it just hit about maybe 40, 50 centimetres on the right-hand side of the car. It wasn't her fault. She pulled to the left, and it drove her right leg up her body permanently about yay and um, you know that you know that song used to sing as a kid, the hip bones connected to the thigh bone. Well, with my mum, it's like the hip bones connected to. Well, not much really. Um, why did you laugh? That's really <laughs> insensitive. I've got the disabled mum. You can't su don't laugh. Continuing to laugh, really, really terrible. Anyway, um, <laughs> so my mum's amazing and a woman of woman of faith. And uh, my dad had some terrible experiences with church as a child. Grew up in Western Sydney in the 40s and 50s. 
and uh, only recently kind of found out some of the things. And my dad seems to be happy with any religion apart from Christianity. And you can pitch it back to some experiences uh, in Western Sydney as a child. My mum had an unbelievable encounter with God listening to a Billy Graham crusade on the wireless from far western New South Wales where she grew up. And, uh, and so it's a wild ride with my parents when my mum had this massive car accident when I was four or five. Um, she becomes disabled, nearly died. Life was all about taking care of mum. And uh, I learned how to cook the family meal. As long as I could see over the kitchen bench, I was cooking the family meal at least once a week. And mum would bark orders from wherever she was sitting at the time. Um, so it was an interesting life situation, but it meant that mum couldn't take us into church. We lived half an hour out of town, and town was pretty small. Like the town that we were half an hour out of was about the size of a tapuki. Like it was tiny. And uh, we were just in the bush on a... On a, on a lake near the beach and a uh, lovely place to grow up but mum would drag us to church every blue minute and my left earlobe it's hard to see when I got the hair longer but it's actually bigger than the right one because that was the one that mum would drag me from. but we went to this old school church where I think the policy was that young people should be seen and not heard so I got to about the age 13 and I did something I'm not terribly proud of and I told my mum where she could stick at a church and, uh, and so she didn't fight too much. And so for a couple of years, I went down a pattern and a pathway of the party scene. I did things that uh, didn't just hurt other people, it hurt me. <laughs> um, I lost a bunch of brain cells doing a bunch of things that, I mean, I, I'm struggling with what I've got. I don't need to lose any, 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 any more. I hurt people that I really love. And at age 16, there was a girl in my maths class. And uh, she said, do you want to come with me to church? And I thought, not really interested in church, but if a chicky babe is inviting me, <laughs> inviting me somewhere, then I'm, I'm there, a little thing called flirt to convert, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I wasn't the first and I doubt I'll be the last. So off I run to this church and I end up in this church and it was a wonderful Pentecostal. I'm going to say it's not just Pentecostal. It was chandelier swinging Pentecostal, and uh, there was the, the walls. It was a lot smaller than this. The, all the walls were pink. It was just like pink. Every wall was pink. That hit me. Um, there was there was this white there was this white square though on the back wall, which was for the overhead projector. Hands up those. How did those real Christians remember the overhead projector? There was a guy who did the overhead projector. It took me a little while to realize because like he'd had one of his fingers cut off in, a, in an accident. He would do it. I'm like, whoa, what's going on there, guys? Hands. It would come up on the wall and I'm like, whoa, I'm looking and I'm like, I'm trying to worship. But I'm like, what's going on? And the other thing that really got me was um, the welcome that I got. There was this four foot nothing old duck with blue rinse and she would just come and hug beautiful old Vivian. And I want like the young ones to say, Vivian. Um, so, but she would come and she would just hug. She would give the solid Christian hug. And it was like an octopus on the side of you. Like, what's the deal? So it's blue rinse. So it's Vivian. Hello, Vivian. Um, people cared. We lived half an hour out of town and mum and dad were happy that I was going to a church. I went for the wrong reasons. It took me a couple of weeks of going to a church like this where... You could get to know God, not just about God. For me to go, this is it. I am 
This all makes so much sense. This is, yes, my, my boots and all, I am in. And I went, I want to go to this church. And mum and dad said, we can't afford to get you in and out from, like they literally couldn't. Like eating three square meals a day was sometimes very difficult in our home. And so the pastor connected with a few of the families and said, can we take care of Dave? Now, I would do school in town. And then on a Friday afternoon, I would get, there was a roster of five different families that I would finish school. I would catch the bus to their place. They'd take me to whoever it was would feed me, take me to youth. Whatever it was, I, I played sports on Saturday. They took me to whatever family, just took me to sports. That was, that was the deal that happened. They took me to church. If there was a music practice, if there was anything, whatever it was. If there was a youth camp, there was no way my parents could afford it. So they, the families just all pitched in and went, let's take. There was no way that that could have happened apart from the fact that there was people that understood. They had an encounter with Jesus and they were willing to do whatever it took for someone else to have an encounter with Jesus. One family, we got to about maybe three months into this round robin. And so on Monday, I would end up going to school with a clean uniform and a lunchbox full of food. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. One family just said, oh, look, this kind of works. Do you want to just, just stay here whenever you want? Beautiful old couple. Well, they weren't old at the time. They just got old names. George and Nerida. <laughs> if your name's George or Nerida, I humbly apologize. I, <laughs> I love these people. They're like my second mum and dad. I was in their home. I saw they had a... Could you imagine? I was a 16-year-old risk. And they opened up their home to me. They had a 10-year-old son and a 7-year-old daughter. And they let this 16-year-old random into their home and said, come and stay any time. Here was the cool thing I saw. I saw marriage done functionally in a godly way. I saw parenting done in a godly way. I saw what it was like that following Jesus was actually epic. I had an encounter with Jesus. My life has never been the same since. I got addicted to this whole, man, God is my best friend. He's my source, my supply, my reason, my purpose, my everything. And how many years later? 31 years later, I'm still addicted to Jesus being my source, my supply, my best friend, the reason for everything. It's led and guided the way that I do relationships, the way that I am a husband, the way that I'm a friend, the way that I'm a dad. If I didn't have Jesus, if I had have repeated what I'd received from my parenting, lovely people, my parents, but dysfunctional it certainly was. If I had have repeated that and not had something else, my three wonderful young men that are raising up in my family would be just as messed up. I had an encounter with God and I didn't see it coming. This lady here in John chapter 8, she has the similar type of deal. She has an encounter with God she didn't see coming. So Jesus was appearing in the temple courts where all the people were gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who was caught in adultery. Some oddities in the story. We're going to get to it. How do you catch a woman in adultery? Where's the bloke if you caught her? This is a setup, ladies and gentlemen. They're trying to catch Jesus. They don't have a GPS out on all desperate housewives in Jerusalem that day. Beep, 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 beep. Oh, we got one. Like, let's bring them in. 
This is a setup. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down, he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, you better believe we're getting back to this. Go now and leave your life of sin. Audacious is Jesus' statement, especially in politically correct 2023. You want me to what? You're telling me to what? Stop judging me. He's not actually judging. But we'll get to that. So this lady doesn't know she's about to have an encounter with God. She's been a little bit naughty. Now, some of you will read this going, well, she's the victim here. There's oppressors and there's victims. And if you see the world in those kinds of lenses, that is a messy way to look at the world. Ladies and gentlemen, you've got to stop it. Chill the flip out on this is the person that's the victim and this is the oppressor. If that's how you see everything through the lens of oppression or intersectionality, you're going to have a messed up world. And the kid who came from poverty, who found out that he was indigenous into his teenage years, man, it's a messy little journey, my background. There's enough reasons for me to be a victim to sink a ship, but I found out that Christ has called me to live in victory and to not have excuses for dysfunctional behavior. It's difficult. Flip, it's difficult. But I'm not watching this girl going, oh, she's a victim. No, she's a vicious homewrecker. That's what she is. She's caught in the act of adultery. What's adultery? Well, it's the same as fornication in the Bible, but slightly different. Fornication is where you go past physical boundaries in, in, in romance and lust with another person, but there's no uh, marriage covenant broken in the process. When there's one or both that are married, there's a break, there's a, there's a, there's a break, there's an offense to that relationship. That marriage is harmed, detrimented. This is terrible. She's a vicious homewrecker. She's either got a husband and kids at home or the dude she's sleeping with does. I'm not seeing a victim right here. So what does Jesus do? She doesn't, she didn't ask for it. She didn't call for this encounter with God, but yet she's got it. There's a couple of things I want to point out through this story that are going to really help us. Number one, when religious people focus on sex, it always gets weird. I know Christians that are expecting non-Christians to not sin and to be clean before they come in. I'm like, how could you be that dumb and still breathe? <laughs> like I'm fishing off the edge of a boat and I catch a fish and I don't want to deal with the guts. That's not how it works. It's not how it works at all. When we focus, we get weird things like one woman gets caught in the act of adultery and we put her in a public space. What does Jesus think about this? I find that Jesus is not irritated by sin. 
He's not irked by the sexuality. He's not bothered by her nakedness. You know why? Because Jesus created sex. God created sex. And God created sexy. Justin Timberlake thought he... He had some great comments to do with sexy. But everyone has... You have a sexy radar. Tonight we're going to call it a sexy dar. Where you notice... Sexy. Justin Timberlake thought, the great prophet Justin Timberlake, JT himself, he said these remarkable words. He said, I'm bringing sexy back. (laughs) Them other brothers don't know how to act. I'm bringing sexy back. Take it to the bridge. You know, Justin didn't do, he didn't bring it back from anywhere. He found it in the gutter, played with it a little bit, and made some commentary, made a lot of money off it. He didn't take it anywhere. He found it, left it there in the gutter, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus took sexy back from the gutter with this situation and totally redeemed the person that had been harmed by it being in the gutter. Jesus brought sexy back. She had, she had worked along, she had believed the words of the great prophetess Katy Perry. It's what she believed. She heard the songs and she thought, um, last Friday night, yeah, I danced on tabletops. Yeah, we drank too many shots. Yeah, we kissed, but I forgot. Here's my question for Katie. If you're kissing and forgetting, what other things are you doing but forgetting? Ew. It's just a bit icky, Katy Perry. It's just a bit... I don't know if I want to follow your words, your ways, your anything. Maybe she was listening to Taylor Swift. The great prophetess. But I've got, I've got questions for Taylor Swift. Because if she knew he was trouble when he walked in. <laughs> Here's my commentary to Taylor. Well, shame on you now. No wonder she's crying on the cold, hard floor, screaming like a goat. No wonder. No wonder. Here's the first thing. When, when religious people, when Christians focus on sex, it just gets a little bit weird out of the gate. When you focus on the human, the person, the child of God that's in front of you as the first priority, then things get realigned. Here's the second thing is that I find that Jesus redeems sex. He redeems sexy. Justin found it in the gutter. Katie commented on it. Taylor's obviously slightly, me- no, not slightly, very messed up. And you might think, well, what about the latest hits? Well, I'll tell you what is so interesting. I was, I was, I was preaching for my, one of my friends in North Queensland. And as I met with him, I, he picked me up in his car. And I said, Lancey, do you know the numbers on your number plate? The letters on your number plate? He said, what are they? What, what is it? It was WAP, the senior pastor of the church had the letters WAP on his number plate driving around town. And I said, do you know what that stands for? He says, no. And I said, your children haven't told you? He said, no. He said, should I Google it? I said, no. <laughs> don't. Just, just, just don't. I can quote Katie and Taylor because it's obviously gone off the cliff since then. Um, Jesus redeems sex. He's not bothered by it. 
Here's the third thing that this scripture tells us. You're not defined by the sum of your base desires. People think these days, because I feel it, therefore I am. I tell you what, have no filters or no ability to turn off the social media, and that's what you'll be preached at. There's a lot of people following down a lot of wild notions that are not God's best plan. It's actually the opposite and taking away from because we feel like our fleshly desires. If I followed my fleshly desires, now I am very happy in my marriage, but my fleshly, my temptation desires are to not be a one woman heterosexual. So what do I do with those? I realize that they don't need to define me, and so I actively look to kill them. And, and you go, are you denying yourself? You've been brainwashed. Well, I don't know if you know, but my brains were so dirty, they needed some solid washing. They were messy, messed up brain, messed up head. Am I denying myself? Yes, because that stuff doesn't take me forward. It always takes me back. And you might say, well, yeah, you're talking about heterosexuality. There are other people that battle with other things. Jesus said himself, you want to follow me, you take up your cross and you follow me. It's actually your call. If you want to follow Jesus, it includes death. Heterosexual temptations, if I die to them, it's no different than someone else dying to their temptations. You can't double die. You have to die to self. But here's the deal. If you want to follow Jesus, that's what it includes. And I, as a young teenager, realized where the world was taking me was nothing but down. But the steps, the Bible says, of righteous people are ordered upwards. That's where God wants to take me. And I can either believe what the world's pumping at me, and I can believe that I am the sum of my fleshly desires, or I could say, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me and the life I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. It's my choice though. It is my choice. I'm not defined, and Jesus never defines this lady by the sum of her desires. He doesn't say, darling, your sexual deviancy, it's just not on. You have to stop it, okay? Like we think, some people think Jesus is the ultimate cosmic cop, ready to bust you for doing the wrong thing. I see the lust in your eyes. Get out! doesn't do that what does he do when everyone else is accusing he just gets down on the same level as the one they're accusing and wherever Jesus finds you he gets down on the same level doesn't affirm the messed up dysfunctional behavior affirms the human affirms the child of God says you're loved no matter what you've done, doesn't say you're a dirty, rotten, vicious homewrecker. Says you're loved. Now, what's he writing on the floor? There's a lot of different conjecture about that. Some people want to quote Leviticus about how to actually deal with an adulteress. But you don't really know that. But all I know is that no one's really going anywhere. And he stands up and he says, 
He who is without sin, will you get to cast the first stone? Knock yourself out. If you're not a sinner, because every sin is worthy of punishment. Your sins might be massive. They might be small, but they still deserve punishment. And my sin is not that, your sin is not that you're a bad boy or a bad girl. It's that you and I chose our way over God's way. We knew better, but yet we chose our own way. We followed our fleshly desires. We thought, yes, I'll do that instead of this. And when we do that, we actively separate ourselves from God. Jesus said, well, if, if you haven't done that, you've got every right. As a completely righteous person, throw your stones. Now, when they said that they were going to stone this girl, it wasn't recreationally. Some of you will get that joke tomorrow. Um, you're slow, but you're worth waiting on. Um, they had bricks, rocks, massive slabs of rock waiting to kill this child of God. She's naked. She's cowering. Jesus gets down, writes on the dirt, stands up. He was without sin, cast the first stone. Here is the greatest sound that you'll ever hear in the Bible. Rocks being emptied from pockets. I can't accuse. Places us in now. Could you imagine those disciples that he's training, watching, going, realizing we get to share that kind of love, that powerful, unconditional, overcoming kind of love with everyone. This is a remarkable deal. He's not irritated. He says you're not defined by your base desires. He removes the judgment. Let me just say, in the way that social media has slightly messed up the way that people communicate, someone questioning you or asking you to reconsider your ways, your words, or your methods is not judgment. The Bible says the wounds of a friend are faithful. You want to be a part of a church, not just because there's great praise and worship. You want to be a part of a church because you need someone to say, it's time to pull your socks up. And to do it in love. The Bible says the wounds of a friend are faithful. So when your pastor's talking about connect groups, she's not just banging on, banging on about connect group, connect group. Every term we hear about connect groups. We're going to start connect groups. We want to go to a connect group. We've got young professional connect groups. We want to go to this life group. You want to go to that life group. Why? Because we need to be within community. Because if we're not within community, we start to believe our own press. I'm not that bad. I'm not quite as bad as that person. I don't do it like that person. Jesus removes the judgment. He literally saves her life and has the audacious commentary to then say, go and sin no more. Now, some Christians want to say that before they love the person. Now, Christians, we love the sinner but hate the sin. Why do we hate the sin? Because we love the sinner. You see what's doing you see what the sin does to your friend or your family. And you, you, you want to tell them to stop the sin, but they're still going to do it while their heart's still in the same location. And so to be transformed from a sinner to a saint is to receive Christ. I don't do that because I'm argued into it. I don't do that because someone tells me or demands 
what do we do? I get to love, unconditional love, love the person. It means that that person's in the dirt. I get down amongst it. Now, Jesus doesn't actually do the stuff. He just gets involved. He actually connects with the person on their level. Sometimes we're either too busy or too cool to actually sit with someone and to say, you're loved no matter what. Jesus wants to restore you. He wants to save you. He wants to let you know that you don't need to be defined by the sum of your base desires. And he wants to restore you to be someone that doesn't just receive love, but now learns to give it. He has an audacious call at the end of it after literally saving her life. He says, darling, this is messing you up. This is hurting you. It's time to change. I rocked up to that crazy pink Pentecostal church and was loved, received in homes when my life was not yet turned around. And that is still affecting me. That literally changed the course of my life. The things that I was doing, I thought, that's really dumb. <laughs> the, amount, the, stuff that I, the people that I was hurting, I thought, that's craziness. The stuff that I was up to, I thought, that's got to change. And so, not because anyone told me I had to, I thought, I want to live this life. I can see where this one's going. I want to live this kind of life. And then I was encouraged and loved and there was generosity. I would encourage you to live that kind of life where someone else would be inspired to want to follow Jesus because you love them through their dysfunction. Show them that there's a better way. There was a lady that a friend of mine and myself encountered in Palmerston North. If I can get some musicians to come back and play something romantic. <sighs> Do they know any Delta Goodrum? That's really good stuff. Stan Walker. What do we got? What kind of songs have we got? Do you know any Temper Trap? Okay. Taylor Swift, no. Um, before I met a gorgeous bride, I used to carry the bags for a traveling evangelist. And this guy had an amazing gift of miracles. We were passing through Palmerston North, one of the greatest places to preach because you can preach at night and snowboard all day. We have a song about Mount Ruapehu that if you... Ask me nicely, I might sing for you, but we, uh, we had a four-night crusade. I've never seen more people in a developed nation with more miracles. Blind eyes, deaf ears open. Unbelievable stuff. And every night in an auditorium about this size, back left corner, it was packed, back left corner, there was a girl dressed about as gothically as you can goth. Black, 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 black. Although the, maybe the foundation was a little bit pasty, but anyway. Uh, kind of girl that would go into a shop and say, you got anything black? And then they'd show, no, you got anything black? Um, you sat, she sat at the back. So many people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. So many miracles happened. The end of the fourth night, 
We prayed for the sick. Ridiculous miracle. So many people said yes to Jesus. She comes up as we're wrapping up. She comes up and she says, can I be a Christian? My mate says, of course you can. Just pray this prayer after me. She asked Jesus into her heart, forgive her of her sin, give her a brand new start. That was beautiful. And at the end of it, she fell like a good Pentecostal. But she didn't fall back nicely. I don't know if you've seen people fall when they get prayed for. It's cool. It's got some Old Testament connection. And when God moves on people, it's amazing what happens. But she didn't fall nicely. She fell. And I was meant to be the catcher at the time. I flat out missed this girl. I heard the thud. I was that close. Dunk. And I'm like, oh no, this is bad. I'm going to be in trouble. And then from that point, she starts writhing around on the ground. Tongue came out, eyes rolled back. She was hissing. I'm looking at her on the ground going, I don't know if human bodies are meant to do that. What's happening is the demons that basically she'd been giving herself for so long. She'd been playing with, she'd been doing all sorts of different stuff. They They were intimidated. They were coming out. My mate Simon goes, Come on, the Bible says we can cast out demons in Jesus' name. Let's pray for her. And so we just pray for her. And I'm like, this, come on out in Jesus' name. You've got nothing against the blood of Jesus Christ. He defeated every enemy, every demon, every sin. He defeated everything when He died on the cross. He paid the price for everything so that you could have life. So I'm declaring this over this girl. And after, I don't know, it might have been a minute, might have been two, but their eyes roll back into the head. I thought, that's a great start. Tongue back in, brilliant. She kind of sits up, but I'm still in the catch-up location. So she's sitting up and I'm, I've got her shoulders. And she's kind of groggy like she's done a couple of rounds with Tyson. She says to my friend Simon, can you pray for me? And I thought, didn't we just do that? Isn't that just what we did? He goes, sure, what for? She rolls back her sleeves. I've never seen so much self-mutilation. I've never seen, it was scars, it was scabs, it was fresh meat. It was weeping, oozing. And she said with everyone around, can Jesus heal this? And in my head, I'm thinking, I hope so. My friend Simon says, of course he can! thinking I'm glad you've got some faith my friend come on everyone let's pray for her and I thought we're praying and it's customary when you pray to close your eyes and I thought I'm not closing my eyes I'm watching I am watching and as we prayed fresh skin up here and up here this girl's heart and life was transformed and turned around and she's got a testimony look at my arms But the greatest testimony is not that her skin got made new, but her heart got made new, that she was accepted for four nights. She knew that she could come to church no matter how you come, no matter what you look like. You are loved, you are appreciated, you are a child of God. Come to the house of God. And because people loved her, her heart was open to a transformation of body, soul and spirit. 1 John 1, 9 says if you faith sorry if you confess your sins to God I'll bring it up on the screen if you confess your sins to God he's faithful and just to forgive you of those sins and 
purify you from all unrighteousness. It takes a while sometimes for the unrighteousness to be purified because we hang on to some things, don't we? Jesus forgives, cleanses every person, no matter if you're the vicious home wrecker and who's, who's embarrassed. You are loved and you're included. How about you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, I thank you here today for your great grace over these men and women. I thank you for a brand new start. I thank you, Jesus, that no matter what sin that we've found ourselves in, no matter how many people have been harmed by it, today is the best day for a brand new start than we've ever had in all of our lives. Father, I pray today, Lord God, your good grace to move on every heart, that you would knock on the door of every heart. God, every person, God, today needing a brand new start. Maybe they've never encountered you before. Maybe they're like me, just rocked up at some random church because some cheeky babe invited you along. I don't know how you got here or you've been here a million times and you still need a brand new start. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love for me despite my sin and mess. You include me in your family and for that I'm so thankful. So today, Jesus, I ask you into my heart to be the Savior of my life. Today I make you Lord of my life. I don't want my sin anymore. I want you in my heart and my decisions and my actions from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.